G'day, and welcome to the Hunter's Campfire Podcast. My name's Mark, and along with good mate Ian, we're here to help with all things hunting. If you're looking to start but don't know where to begin, you want to make the most of your next trip away, or even plan a hunt of a lifetime, we've got something for you. You'll find our podcasts on Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, and plenty of others. And if you want more, head over to our YouTube channel, The Hunter's Campfire, where we have plenty of how-to and hunting videos, along with the full video production of every podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe, and good hunting. I um, I have the same problem with my dog. I've got an indicator, and um, before I take her out hunting, especially for the for the rut and raw, I get the skins back out of the freezer and she can smell that I've got them out of the freezer and she's like, come on, let's go, let's go. What do you mean you're going to work again? This is bullshit. You can't do that. <laughs> Hanging around the fridge waiting to go track down deer skins. Yeah, um, yeah it's pretty funny. We're good to go. All right. Well, uh, hi, everybody, and welcome to the, the next episode of the Hunter's Campfire podcast. It's um, They're rolling on now, Mark. How are you getting on? Yeah, not bad, mate. I noticed we're all, uh, nearly all anyway, in our shirts. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. It's very cool. No, I'm well. Um, uh, well, you know, timing's an issue, but you know, we we survived the flood pretty well. Got a little Mm. bit wet. Um, I was hoping to run the podcast from the shed tonight, but it's still a bit damp inside there. So, um, and there's more rain coming, so that might postpone (laughs) the shed shed launch for a couple more weeks. But other than that, everything's going well. How about yourself? Yeah, we had heaps of rain um, in the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of mils. Um, we stopped measuring once we tipped out about 400, um, which is not as much as you got down your way. It was over a thousand mils, which is just ridiculous. But we're due another 200 tonight, um, which will run very quickly because the ground is completely sodden. So, yeah, it's pretty it's pretty full on. I've got a, a, a team of people um, that I work with and Look, if they've not got COVID, they're they're isolated on islands, you know, which used to be streets. So it's it's pretty full on. Um, we're on a hill and we get flooded, which is bizarre up in Toowoomba. But yeah, down down uh, on the coast, you guys are copping it. You certainly are. Mm. About you, Jono? Yeah, same. So where we are, we had over a thousand mils. Um, it was a bit of a struggle to keep the water out of the um, out of the house. Um, we were out there with rooms and you name it trying to push the water away sacrifice the shed um for the good of the house so push the water into the into the shed they just the drainage just couldn't keep up so a little bit of damage to some personal belongings but we got everything of value that was on the floor up and onto high ground so um nothing that couldn't be sacrificed um mm. so yeah survived obviously as you said there's more rain coming tonight so um anticipating um some more flooding um the creeks are still pretty high up here so um uh, brisbane brisbane city still Still struggling. It took me an hour and a half to get into the office yesterday um, because there were so many road closures. So, um, yeah, hopefully people don't struggle tonight and tomorrow with that extra rain. Mm. Yep, that's a challenge. And you're, um, you, you've come down with another challenge. You were I have indeed, yes. So, um, well, before you go there, um, we should also uh, officially welcome you to the uh, Hunters Campfire podcast crew because you've been on a couple of podcasts with us, but uh, you're now joining us officially as as one of the hosts which is great so that's why there's three of us tonight um but in true true well you're not australian because we can't hear it but i was going to say in true aussie fashion on your first day of work you're going to chuck a sickie 
Yeah, well, came close to it. So unfortunately, um, started feeling a bit crook yesterday. Um, and this morning did a COVID test, which came back uh, came back positive. So um, the family are all at home isolating. Um, obviously, the, the schools have been closed for the last two days because of the flooding. They went back uh, this morning for all of an hour and they had to come home. So for the next seven days, we are isolating at home. Uh, so apologies if I'm sounding a bit nasally in that today. But um, yeah, the COVID's it's hit me a little bit. It's not too bad. It just feels like a cold, um, to be honest. So um, hopefully it doesn't get any worse than that. I don't anticipate it will. Mm. Good luck with it. Hope you come out of it fine. Troy, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us. No worries. Thank you for having me. Where are you based, mate? So I'm the bottom of Victoria, down in Geelong. So about an Ooh. hour south of Melbourne. Yeah, less wet than we are. You'd just be watching the chaos on the news, I imagine. Yes, I'm listening to that and watching the news. Yeah, it does not look good at all. Mm. Yeah. Yep. That's all right. Well, before we get into the into the podcast content, uh, Mark, did you want to have a bit of a chat about some cool stuff that's going on? Yeah, well, the the the, the cool thing this week is, um, well, it's been a year in the making, but uh, over a year ago now, I got asked by Beretta Australia and SSAA Publications to be involved in a rifle build, and at the time, I kind of thought I was just going to be a bit of a ring-in, but unfortunately, they or, or fortunately. I kind of got pushed to the front of the queue and they asked me, you know, what would you like us to build? Which was caught me by surprise. But anyway, um, so the, the process began. Um, COVID and restrictions didn't make anything easier. You know, the rifles in Victoria, I'm in Queensland, we were getting accessing parts from the US. So it was all, a, it was a very long drawn out process, but based on a TICA, um, T3X CDR. We've built a rifle. I reckon we should be able to ping a picture of it up somehow in yep, production. So, uh, so based on that chassis, um, and of course it's a lefty, and of course it's 308 because I'm a lefty and I love 308. And it's a, a really lovely looking rifle, and it shoots like a dream. So I got it last. Actually, I got it just before we went to Severn, and I was really, really tested. <laughs> tempted to take it with us but i hadn't had a chance to shoot it i said no no do that don't do that just put it in the safe lock it in safe forget about it come back so that week we got back went to the range sighted him shoots like a dream um those ctrs attack drivers that's for sure um so it's ready to go i'll probably do one more range run and then it's going to the brisbane valley with me and um i will see if i can take a red with it mm. and it's a three-part stories double s double a so it'll appear in May, which is great for this podcast because it'll be still current. So uh, the first part will be about basically the design process. The second part will be testing. And the third part will be hopefully successful field testing. Right. So, um, and then, and then of course, I've got to figure out, I suppose I've got to give it back. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe, it was, maybe you'll get another one. A little disappointing, but that's the way it goes. Yeah. So that's the big news for me. So um, Ticket T3X. In what are you able to reveal any more details on that? Uh, uh, for those that want to know, there's a picture sure, of so it on our Facebook page. The, the, the chassis, if you will, is oh no, chassis is not a good word. Um, the rifle itself is the CDR, which is a 20 inch um, and has the I think they call it a heavy sporter barrel. It's not a ball barrel or a varmint barrel. It's a heavy sporter, and you, they're they're also a threaded barrel. External box mag, slightly different to the typical um, box mag on the Tikas. It's a metal 
metal box mag, so it looks a little bit different. There, they do look a little more compact. Uh, replace the stock with a, a a Mesa or a Mesa, depending on how you like to pronounce those things. The model is an altitude stock, which is built for the Tika. So it's a very nice compact stock. It's got quite a pronounced Monte Carlo type of um, uh, butt end on it. So it's got a good high cheek piece, which is great. It's running a Steiner um, X Hunter, I think is the, the, the proper name for the scope. Uh, two to 10 by 50, uh, typical German number four style um, with a illuminated reticle. Um, fluted the barrel just really just to have a bit of fun. Uh, sorry, not fluted the barrel, so fluted the bolt just to have some fun. Um, put a Spartan bipod on the front of it, and uh, the way those don't know the Spartans use a like a plug-in system, so it's not like an old Harris-style bod uh, uh, bipod that plugs in and plugs out. Um, and then uh, basically color coded it. The the the, the stock had a, what they call a Mojave um, pattern on it, and we use that as the base. So the major components are um, Cerakote uh, FDE, I think it is, something dark earth, dark earth colour. And the um, minor components are, are, are like a what they call smoke, which is uh, almost a grey. So the rings and so on are smoke. So you get a bit of a, a comparison. You know, uh, they, they, they offset each other very well. Looks really nice. Shoots really nice. Um, so that's, and there's a bit of engraving on it, just for again, the, uh, so it wears up the front of the receiver, it wears the SSAA badge, the, you know, the shield. And behind it sits uh, uh, the word INDI, I-N-D-I. What that means is basically one, it actually means a few things. One is it's um, uh, basically, it's really, it was a kind of, uh, Acknowledgement of what Beretta and Double S Double A the, the the autonomy they gave me in it they kind of just said do what you want it wasn't like here's a list they said do what you want so you know it was really quite I was quite independent in in the build and even when I kept talking to them and I said oh you know I was kind of going well what do you think about this and they're going yeah we'll do that what do you want yeah we'll do that you know there was no well you know this is not part of our range or something like that no they just went for it which is really good. The second indie is really refers to it, you know, the, you know, it's an individual rifle. There's only one of them like it, and the third is the 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 um the rider in me. For those who ever read uh, the Horatio Hornblower series as a kid about swashbuckling adventures during the Napoleonic Wars, the um he uh, the the main character sailed on a ship called the Indefatigable, which means never tiring. So it's the indie. It's never tiring. That was the idea. Great, great. I can't wait to read it. It's it's a real privileged position to be able to do that for two great organisations. So well done. Yeah, it it was. Uh, I actually talk about that. For those you know, The Simpsons. Remember when Homer made the Homer mobile and wiped out his brother's company? It was kind of that. That was kind of the mind I was in. I was going, this is exciting. I'm going to build a Homer mobile. And wipe them out. <laughs> That's it. This is the rifle to end don't, all rifles. Is that what you're saying? Don't build a homemobile. Don't build that rifle. So yeah, that, I actually talk about that a bit. It was actually you know, and 
the you know his design theory where he you know he drew a piece of drew a stick picture basically and said build me this build me this and uh, and that was it yeah that was it was there was a bit of stress involved i mean look there's what two hundred thousand readers that's going to appear in front of so there was a bit of stress about there'll be there'll be some people asking you questions oh, man, to, there's no doubt will, everyone has their favorite people right? who will tear it apart you know there's oh, yeah. no doubt no, well, that's good mate. well yeah, that's, 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 as you say, each their own indie kind of. Yeah, uh, that's it. Ties in. So it's individualist for you, thing. not for anyone else. You know, mm. people have always said, oh, why'd you do three hour wait? Why'd you do that? And I said, because, you know, there isn't a place you can't stop in this country and buy three hour wait ammo. You know, you can't, There, you know, it's very hard not to be able to buy 150 grain soft points in three hour yeah. wait. It's, you know, the, the, especially in the times of poor supply chains. You can find that ammo just about anywhere. So that was a big part of it, you know, something. And also, of course, it meets all requirements or, or recommendations for a hunting calibre in this country. So, you know, you can hunt with it you know, across the country. That was the idea. Good stuff. All right. Um, plenty of other exciting things going on around uh, our podcast. Um, uh, not um, the only thing is, sorry, not being the only thing having Troy on the, on the episode this afternoon so thanks for coming but we've got a huge range of um really top quality guests joining us over the next oh six months really mark mm, we've got we such a great list of people and uh, a shout out to all the listeners because uh, i had someone contact me not long ago and said how do you keep finding people like what's the process you go through to keep finding people and it's really interesting you know when you start these things you do tap into your own you know um, resources and people that you know to bring people on that, that are going to be really interesting to, to listen to but we're now getting a lot of listeners coming forward and saying hey you should talk to these guys and hey you should talk to these guys so um what's been really nice is to get that feedback and and some of those recommendations but even you know, just as exciting as as us reaching out to some of those people some of those personalities in our hunting industry and and them being quite open to come on board and, and have a conversation so look out for what's coming there's going to be some great stuff and um yes yeah, stay tuned to it and optimal time to say pause for a second and if you haven't subscribed the channel subscribe to it and there's a bunch of social media stuff you should go and like as well um, as you normally do with the social channels that's what we'll say about that button cue here somewhere if we can get that right <laughs> right um right don't worry about the button just subscribe yeah, maybe the button will help i don't know anyway yeah, somewhere there flash stuff but we'll, we'll learn hey. um so let's welcome troy so troy um again thanks for joining us troy from honker hunters uh and uh you're very well known down in your parts of the world and i spoke to a few people up this way who know you quite well as well so you've obviously got quite the presence online with the work that you do um, around duck hunting. And I asked in the in the pre-chat, Honker Hunters uh, refers mainly to ducks, but also Samba, we hope. Uh, Samba, hopefully, hopefully this season, this year, um, but mainly the mountain duck that we have down here um, in Victoria. So the mountain duck is specifically letting go a honk. And if you hear that noise, you know that they are coming or they are above you somewhere. Okay. Right. Okay. That's a, that that that's a good bit. I, I I've been looking at your videos and I, I you know I, I noticed there was a lot of stuff on mountain ducks. So that yeah. that explains it. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Before we get into the ducks, being a deer hunter, when I was having a look at the content that you produce, naturally I went to the only samba video that you had, 
up there. I think it was the only one. And I really enjoyed it. It was a great piece of video um, and uh, well done on the successes of it. Um, do you want to talk us through that? Because um, you picked up your Samba, but you didn't get honked, and that's kind of unusual <laughs> to start with. So let, let's let's just start with that little bit of a, of a trip first, and then we'll, we'll wind into the, the real stuff. Yeah, I... I've just sort of started um, last year getting into the deer hunting. So I've, around home, I've always gone fallow. Um, I've been up into North Victoria and got a couple of reds, which was really, really good. Um, but I've never actually gone hunting in the high country to chase the samba. So when the opportunity arose, uh, one of my mates down the road had the trail cam set up and he said, look, he keeps seeing them. They're in this gully. Let's go and have a look. Um, so we walked in. Uh, we go by a few trips I'd done before I put that video up. I um, walked in about 20 metres on my very first high country trip and up jumped a spiker out of the creek. On the very first 20 metres I'd walked into the bush off the ute that he dropped me off. He said, I'll drop you here and you just walk through there. When you get to this first little gully, keep going and push through and I want you over the top of the next rise and just um, sit there until, you know, mid-afternoon and blah, blah, blah. And I got 20 metres after he drove the ute off and I bumped a spiker straight away. And it ran directly through that creek and straight up over the next rise. And as you guys would know, they make a hell of a racket and yeah. frighten the hell out of me for the very first time. <laughs> Um, so then that was done. We tried other things. Um, so to cut it short, we put trail cams in the area. I tried again, still didn't get honked at. And then that very third time, which I threw the video up, um, we knew they were in the area. We'd sussed it all out. We'd done everything we could. We put the trail cams out um, and it paid off. So we worked out that there was feed down the bottom of the gully. At some stage, they were going to have to come there to eat. And we worked out a rough time. And the other bloke that I was with, he sussed out that there was a stag actually laying really low in the creek. The wind was swirling down the bottom. So we were focused on him and didn't realise that, lo and behold, about 200 metres coming down on the right-hand side was um, the two that I put in the video. So um, Jared had never shot the stag. And I'd never shot a Samba. So he got his very first stag and I got my very first Samba. All about 20 metres apart because um, he let loose with a 306 on the on the um, stag and then I dropped the hind, which was just in front of um, him. So, yeah, really yeah, good for the harvest. And then, then, as you know, the hard work began. Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it was, um, I was just yeah. saying, it was a really interesting piece of video uh, because as a as a deer hunter, I was pretty, you know, engrossed in in the process and what was going on, and the, the grins on your two fellas' faces when you knocked over not one but the two of them yeah. uh, was was awesome. Yeah. I, we, were, we were right there in the middle of it with you, so you did a good job of capturing it, and um, yeah, the hard work obviously um, uh, paid off in the long run. Yeah, well, as I said, like we come up and Jared sort of stopped me, and I was fifty meters from him, just sort of on that slight incline from the um, creek and he pulled me up and said, just wait there. Cause he's giving me all those hand signals are saying, you know, there is a stag in that creek, just stay back and all this sort of stuff. So we were so focused on the stag 
um, that we didn't realise that these other two were coming down. Mm. So it was all, yeah. And then, of course, I, it was that minute where I put the GoPro in my backpack about five minutes earlier and then put my phone in the pocket because I thought nothing's going to go off here. I don't want to ruin his very first opportunity to get the stag. Mm. I didn't want to ruin that for him, so I made sure that I just sat really, really tight and still and didn't want to even undo the zip to put the GoPro back on the on the head. And next thing you know, the other two walked down. So that's why I didn't get that very first um, GoPro footage or video footage of um, him shooting it and me either with the GoPro. So, But there's a lot of meat that we brought home for the harvest and we fed, yeah, we fed a lot of people with that one. So, yeah. Yeah, they're big animals, aren't they? Huge. Yes, they are. Huge. I, I couldn't believe it. Yeah, I think we did five or six trips. I think. Yeah, I wondered that. I wondered yeah. that in the video because you didn't yeah. didn't cover too much of that. It was just uh, we're off and we're there. But um, yeah. yeah, great. John, have you been samba hunting? No, not yet. Definitely on the to do list, but and, and uh, it's on Mark's to do list as well. Yeah, so, something. Um, I, it's it's funny that the sizing in deer, isn't it? Like you know, you shoot fallow and then you shoot a good red. You go, oh well, you know, there's a significant difference between the two. When you see guys with the samba, especially those. Not necessarily the, the the big stags, but you get those big, just a big bodied animals. You go, holy, holy, that thing's yeah. a truck. It's a truck legs, you know. <laughs> Very that stocky one. animals, yeah. 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 It's, it's a heavy set that, animals. That, that one that I bumped on my very first trip up there, that was that was unbelievable. That was just like a massive cow just running up through the bracken yeah, yeah. up the hill. That just made a hell of a noise. Mm. Yeah, they are yeah, my, very um, similar yeah. to my first Samba trip, um, and I've and I've said this before. I, I won't go on about it too much, but it was half an hour into my first Samba walk, going up a, a creek. We'd only just driven the 16 hours to get there, set up camp, walked up a ridge line, closing light. It was in very dark um, undergrowth, so it was muddy ground, dark foliage, dark grey sky light was fading and this big black stag stood straight up in front of me and it wasn't it wasn't a spiker he, he would have been you know my samba of a lifetime type stag maybe he wasn't maybe i saw bigger than i thought it was but it was immense but he stood less than five meters up in front of me there was nowhere to swing a rifle but i, I didn't have it in me to do it anyway i was just so blown away yeah, by the scale of the size yeah. of this thing and it was behind a tree Right, so it just ducked in behind the tree, and I could see the antlers out the sides. So, um, and I've not been—I've been that close to a couple more since. They just catch you by surprise. Mm. Uh, they've got such a nerve on them to to just hold their ground, uh, and then off they go, and they just—I oh mean—they put it up here. But anyway, it excites me. I'm looking forward to the trip later in the year to get back down there. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, I mean that same trip. I after I bumped that other one, I went down over the next gully and. I had one come all the way up um, and I kept watching the bracken move all the way up and I'm thought, all he's got to do is show himself um, and then it just went dormant and everything stopped and it was dead quiet. I'm like, well, me being inexperienced, so I thought I'll just sit there um, and then there was a little bit of movement then there was no movement and we just had this cat and mouse game and I'm thinking, do I go down to him or do I just sit tight? He's got to move sooner or later. Um, and then he moved, and I i don't know whether you guys have had it, but I'll put it on socials as well. It, he must have urinated down below me, and the smell, because it was wafting up, was just mm. 
unbelievable. You, I can't describe the stink that come up um, wafted straight into me. So, mm. yeah, I was telling Jared up the road, and he, he's never had that either. So there was a different experience as well. So, yeah, that's, that's what he thought. That's what he thought of you being there. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But that's the nerve they hold. I was yeah, coming right. down a ridge, uh, you know, and quite often at the end of your hunt. Uh, right or wrong or completely wrong you know you put your head down and you're on the stomp back to camp because you've had a, a tough day well I was on that and I was coming down a ridge and I decided I, I got to a a, a a shelf and I just decided to stop and have a break and I peeled an orange and had a cup of coffee and I would have been there for 25 minutes just having a break a good break and um, when I stood up and went I stepped five meters and three of them broke cover and ran and they sat under me for 25 minutes just just like just there they didn't even bother moving so yeah they're a different animal completely yeah. it excites me a lot mm, i'm looking I'll forward to it i'll definitely be back up there this year yep no that's great mate all right well um the other part of uh honker hunters obviously is not the samba so um let's have a quick chat about that but but before we go into the full details of that um have you been a, a, a duck hunter all your life? Where did you start? What was your, you know, your entry into hunting and, um, and, and what's led you to where you are? Um, when I was younger, I went with dad. So dad dabbled in it, of course, starting with the rabbits. Um, he fox whistled a little bit. Um, that was when I was at the age of sort of 12 or so. And then I had a big gap. Uh, of course, when I was 18, I started working with an, another mate. Um, who got me back into it and we became really good mates and we'd sort of go out in the creeks and I've always been mainly shotgun shooting. Uh, I haven't really got into the rifles. I've had the 22s and I've had the 223s, but I've mainly 90% of the time been shotgun hunting, um, so rabbits and foxes. Um, and then I, of course, got the Hilux when you're 18, 19, put the, drilled the hole straight through the roof and there's nothing for me to be out on a Friday night after dinner from 9.30 until whatever hours in the morning. Um, and, yeah, I got to, around home here, got to know a lot of private properties and I'd go look after the properties and shoot the foxes for the farmers and then move to clay targets. So clay targets become a really big thing. Um, I've always been a bit of a competitive person. So the clay targets was a good avenue to lead into being competitive. So found myself spotlighting and um, as I got on a bit to sort of that 25 and 30, we're shooting a lot of clay targets and fox hunting be became sort of the second thing as I started to get the duck licence. And then, of course, I'd always sort of been, I've always had it, but jumped dams and sort of done the easy hunting. Um, it wasn't until a mate took me out actually into a wetland and then you realise what really happens and it becomes, once again, it becomes competitive to if the birds are flying past, um, you've got your decoys there, you've got your callers. It's a bit of a challenge to get them to turn with your duck callers and if you turn that bird and they come straight in decoys and you get the shot, that's just... That's your satisfaction right there. Mm. So that's a bit of a challenge. I, I took that upon myself to start learning everything about it as much as I could. So, 
learning how to duck call, watching all YouTube videos, um, a lot of stuff at the time uh, that I have come from the States, like all my gear and everything, because it's massive over there. Um, so I imported a lot of gear to here and then it just went from there. Yeah. So that's basically my rundown. And then of course, then we come to now. So if I was in the wetlands over the years, I've just noticed that the new beginners just don't know how to go about it. Um, as I started to get more involved in the duck hunting, um, I was shooting the clay targets, as I said, but I started um, running the clay target club down here. So I, with field and game um, down in Geelong. So I started running the gun club down there and then got involved in actually teaching the WIT test, which is the waterfowl identification test. So I was teaching that as well. And going through that, you sort of learn that the new hunters will, they go and get their WIT test, well, they pass that, then they go, well, what do I do now? If they don't have another friend to help them out or anything like that, they don't know where to go. They don't know what to do. So if you're a hunter out in the wetlands, you've got a bloke. I had, I had one bloke next to me one day years ago. He had the duck caller around the wrong way. Was he sucking on it? Without a lie. <laughs> he had it around the wrong way. And I bit my tongue for a good 10 minutes. So I thought, no, I've got to go say something. So it all started from there. And I'm like, I've got to help them. I've got to do something. So any opportunity that come, I'd try and help them out. And this is where the honker hunters thing come up. So. I started that um, last year and just tried to get everyone involved. If anyone wanted to come hunting, um, I was offering to take them hunting. Um, I'm not going to charge anyone. It's just that if you want to come hunting and I'm going out anyway, then you're more than welcome to come with me. I'd rather help you out and guide you um, and give you all the knowledge that I know so you're successful out in the wetland or the swamp or the rivers as well so you can take home your harvest. Um, rather do that than have you 50 metres away from you, 100 metres away from you, um, sky busting at ducks, not knowing your limits or not knowing how to duck call, or you've got the decoys at 50 metres and wondering why your ducks aren't coming within 150 metres of you. So I'd rather help these guys out than, um, yeah, just sort of lay dormant, I suppose, and not say anything. Good on you. Yeah. Awesome. I just think, I just think we've got our, uh, our title, Sky Busting. Sky Busting. Love it. Love it. Sky Busting. Yeah, well, uh, we had another Victorian, what was it? Scrub Cutting. Scrub, scrub Cutting. cutting sky we've busting. had, we've had worm it. burners. We've had we've got worm burning. So, yes. Oh, I, I, I call them Sky Busters or Grinders. <laughs> grinders. Yeah, because they're always letting go sparks beside you. So, it's just. <laughs> they're just throwing stuff out there you know what i mean like it's just yes. yeah. that's it uh, sky busted growners yeah why is it that you think that the new hunter today um is so ill-informed why are they not getting what you got back in the day is it because there aren't any people putting their hands up to help or uh, or what i tend to think is you know a lot of people can go and sit an open book test um uh, you know get some stuff off a shelf and feel entitled to just go and have a crack um, without putting in harder yards to learn a bit more now generation sort of stuff. Are you seeing that or is it more the other side that just isn't the support around the sport? Yeah, I think it's just the lack of support. I think it's, I mean, you talk about 
back in the day when we started hunting, we'd knock on a farmer's door and say, oh, you know, you've got a heap of rabbits down the creek. Can I actually walk down there? And they're like, yep, go for it. Mm. Um, as you know, we deer hunting and especially duck hunting, if you've got your little hidey hole in your swamp or your favourite spot, you don't want to help these blokes out. You want that to yourself. That's your little private hole or wetland. I mean, down where I am in Geelong, we've got two major wetlands, which is really good. But I know myself, there is certain times throughout the season where they hunt a lot better than what they do on the weekends or certain times and all this sort of stuff. So it's probably coming from blokes just not willing to help everyone else. They just want to keep it to themselves. Whereas I'm the total opposite. I'd rather have more people out there and learning off everyone else. So the more people that put their hand up, the better, I think, anyway. With that being the case, so when you see, you know, you see uh, someone, and we, we won't stick with the guy who had the, you know, the duck all the wrong way, but what some of those common, what, what do you think are some of the common um, mistakes that newbies make? Um, back Right back to basics. It's, it's um, hunting in a wetland with the wind um, not at your back. Um, it's the sun. So um, let, let's pull it. So why, why do I want the wind at my back? 99% of the time, the birds will want to land into the wind. Okay, so the birds are going to come at me if the wind's at my – well, not all this, right. but the birds want to fly into the wind, so I want to make sure that the wind's blowing over my shoulder so they're going to come at me, okay? So they're going to come at you, which, okay. of course, is better for us because that gives us a, a, a nicer kill shot. Yep, and they're, because, they're a closing target rather than a fleeing target. Yep, sure. That's right. Whereas if it was the other way around and we had the wind pushing in, they it, it forces them right down into the decoys and they just don't want to actually pitch oh, in. Oh, okay. So, yeah, so it's actually not only making them, you know, got a tailwind, it's actually pushing them into a a, 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 a better, or a less less desired shooting area. Okay. That's yep. right. So if they, were, if they were coming down in, just say it was really windy, if they were coming down with a tailwind, well, the wind's going to be bouncing them up and down, all this sort of stuff. And what you'll find is they'll keep flapping their wings right up to the decoy spread. Sometimes you can't get out of it. You try and move your decoy spread yeah. around to the side. That's all becoming about basics and the way you set things up then. Um, whereas ideally, if you had the wind at your back and they're actually flying straight towards you, it gives you that prime opportunity to take the shot. But what you find on most ducks will get to a certain stage and they'll be flapping their wings and you might be on the duck calls. And all of a sudden, I know myself over the many years experience that you will get the birds cut their wings. So the minute those birds cut their wings in your head straight away, you go, those birds are committed to the decoys. So they oh, get to a certain point and they're flapping and they see your decoys and then they go, that's where my other mates are. Here we go. So they'll bank in or they'll just cut their wings. Yeah. And as they cut their wings, they just glide for the rest of the way into your decoy spread. Um, if they um, go to pitch in and flare out, well, that's your prime opportunity to take the shot or you take the shot just as they're about to land on your decoy spread. Okay. So for those listening and think about duck hunting, so make sure, you know, primary – Winds at you, winds blowing over your shoulder, so that the the birds are coming at you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So what what some of the other you know those basic components of that? 
And the reason I ask this is, look, you know, I'm no duck hunter. This is not this is not something, but certainly something I'm very very interested in. So, mm. let, let, and, and I'm sure there's a lot of other people are listening who who want to get into this as well. So, mm. yeah. So, so, what are some of the other basics? Do you think that that really, if you if you get right from the bit, that beginning, you're kind of setting yourself up for a bit more success? Yeah. So, wind is the ultimate, yep. uh, and the sun as well. So. If you've got the sun, if you're looking straight directly into the sun, like you might not be able to actually camouflage yourself into the reeds properly. You might have a pair of sunglasses on because it's so glary. Well, they're looking directly at you. Yeah. So they are going to see that, but you're going to stand out like no tomorrow. So you want to have the sun at your back as well as a wind in the ultimate um, hunting experience or what you would call it, in yeah. the ultimate setup. And then it comes down to your decoy spread. So you've got to make your decoy spread look appealing so the other ducks think that it's safe to go and land down there, uh, that they want to join their mates. And then there's all tips and tricks as well to set your decoy spread up. So you can, I'm doing another little YouTube clip on now, or you can run a basic U-shape where you've got a massive kill zone in the middle. If you've got a little bit of side wing coming on an angle, you can run it in a bit of a J-shape. Um, and then there's few other techniques you can run as well. So with the, so with the decoys, is is it is it a volume game? The more decoys you have, the better it is. Or is is can you can you decoy with a smaller number? Or is it it yep. it, it doesn't not worth your while? It gets very. Oh, I don't I don't know the word for it. But if I go through say the start of the season, the start of the season, the birds are flying around you could have a big volume of decoys and they're going to come in and feel safe and they're going to land straight with you. Mm -hmm. But as the season gets on, well, there's more hunting pressure. So they get a bit wary and they get a bit flighty. So that's when you want to be strategic and start playing around with your decoy spread. So I go sometimes as low as two decoys. Oh, okay. Yep. I go as low as having two black ducks out there just two metres apart. Um, that way they just feel totally safe. There's another two over there. Let's just either fly past for a look or we'll come in and land with the two. So especially when you go up to New South Wales where um, you're on the, um, the rice. rice fields. Yeah, the rice mitigation. Um, yeah, yep. Yeah. So toward, towards that, like they're under a lot of pressure to keep them off the farm. So I find myself running uh, what I call a three and a five. So you'll have three over one side. You're on a 45 and a five on the other which leaves a really good kill zone in the middle, but also whatever angle they come from, you've got the opportunity to take birds. So and are you are you putting the, 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 the spread in a specific pattern? Are they facing into the wind? Is there to try and bring them in that way? Or is there an eye to laying out those decoys? Not when you think there's a lot of hunting pressure. It's basically put them out um, at an effective kill range. So, for all the beginners and stuff out there, you don't want to actually put them out too far, but you want to put them out far enough that the birds coming from behind you maybe over the reeds are going to see them or from the side or above and things like that. So normally about the 20, 25 metre mark is safe because you can effectively take a shot at 30 with no dramas for beginners and things like that. If you put them out further um, at your 35, 40, well, some ducks will land short of your decoys. So they'll oh. cut their wings way back. So they cut their wings at, say, 60, 70. But as they're coming in, they might land another 10 metres behind the back of your decoys just before they hit the water. Your your shot is actually at the 40 metre mark, which 
as you know, with a shotgun, your spray range might not be as, as effective. So you want to bring them in just that little bit closer. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So different decoys, different spreads. Um, but that comes down to, I suppose, someone teaching you and going along with someone that can show you different techniques and different spreads, watching YouTube and going through the whole lot. Yeah. And with those decoys, uh, so are we talking about the, the floating kind? Because I know there's there's lots of different types of decoys. There's, you know, the ones that actually move and things like that. So it could, and look, I've, I've, I've wing shot, but not in Australia. I've wing shot in the UK, mm -hmm. um, and that was on 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 well, not it's England, so it's not particularly dry land, but technically dry land. Um, and so, you know, the the, the decoy that they used, you know, it was like a carnival. You know, there was ones that were spinning, and there was ones that did flapping, and also, and they used de some decoys were actually dead birds, just put up on a frame, and then they had, you know, then they had the the, the artificial decoy. So are we primarily talking with you? Are we talking about floating ones or some of these move or anything like that as well? Mark, were you, were you saying that they were shooting a bird and putting it on a frame? Or no, they were out they, of the freezer. They have an old one. They freeze them. They freeze them. So they, they freeze them. them. <laughs> so they got like, it, it was like a carnival, mate. There was like, you know, there was, there was, you know, these ones that just basically spin. Mm. Like yeah. two plastic birds going. <laughs> And there yeah. was other ones that basically were just like a flick. And then there was, you know, the the typical bird with a spike that you just shoved in the ground. But then there was these ones that were a wire frame and they'd get a, an old an old bird and like literally kind of peg it out like it was coming into land type thing. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's the wings were out like that was on a fly. That was a real animal. Yeah, well, not, not a live one, obviously. But, but they More realistic. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. So, and they use all sorts of different types of decoys. So, so yeah. So decoys were really, you know, and this was again on land, not floating. Yep. So, really interesting on the decoy pattern and the type of decoys you use too. Yeah. So I've, if you're talking about all those, I've probably got most of them. Part of a Troy's place. I basically do. I basically do. There's um, spinning, what we call spinners. Yeah, so spinning decoys where they just you can put them on a pole. I've got the ones that actually float uh, on a floater that you just oh, like, okay. yeah, and they're just like on a little pontoon. Um, I've got flappers as well, mm -hmm. and I've got what they call butt up decoys with a circulating pump underneath. Um, so there's yeah, so just I've just seen someone frown on that as if to say, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a, obviously it's a diving duck or it's a feeding duck. Yes. And what's it? Was it moved something? Does it? No, no. So basically, if you grab a decoy and you cut it in half and then put it tail up, yeah, right. So the bum is sticking straight yeah, up yeah, out of the water, like, so like the duck is like so yeah, underneath yeah. the actual circulating pump, um, just recirculates the water and spits out a tube just below the tail. So it's, it gives that motion in the water. And it's oh, yeah, water. like oh, it looks like it's stirring up the bottom. It's, that's that's right. Yeah. Going yeah. And it's yeah. Working. Wow. So if, if, they fly up, if, if they fly over, all of a sudden they see all these ripples and they have a look down and go, hang on, my mate's yeah. actually ducking yeah. under, having a bit of a play and whatever. So or, they go, well, I'm going there too. That's right. Starve for air. Go down and help the poor <laughs> yeah. bastard out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've got Do a you couple make of these do you, do you hack these things in half and and put these pumps in? Are you coming up with these ideas, or are these all store board options? <laughs> Back in the day, I tried everything. <laughs> What's the wackiest one you've made then? Uh, 
It'd probably be that. <laughs> It'd probably be that. Yeah, probably that. I brought little pumps off because it was so expensive pumps. to get these things from the States. Yeah. That mm. you try and manufacture something yourself. So I put, um, I cut my, my own decoys in half. I brought pumps from eBay and fish tank tube and tried to run it myself. But I'm a plumber by trade, so there was silicon getting bogged in everywhere. And, <laughs> yeah, every, everything was going in. I had the kids pull out the back. Test trialing them and yeah, okay, yeah. Wow. far out. Little tornado tubes um, um, from I think it was the UK off eBay. I got those and they actually clip underneath the decoy, and they've got like a little submarine propeller that takes a D-sized battery, so you can actually clip these under your decoy and throw them in the spread. Of course. The little submarine propeller just goes around, and then they scoot around your decoy spring. <laughs> I've, I've, I've tried. I've got to ask. I got to ask. Um, do you show up at the wetlands, and you know there's old mate over there, and old mate over there, and you're like, look at these amateurs, and you start throwing out this crazy <laughs> set of decoys and just one upmanship? Does that happen? It's like, it's like oh. the Christmas lights huh, between your neighbours. <laughs> a couple of years ago, um, I was at a lake in the Western Districts, like halfway up in Victoria. And okay. on opening morning, I was bagged out in 20 minutes. I set an almighty spread. I had two spinners in the middle of the spread with two nice kill zones. I had the butt-up decoys. I had everything you could think of. I had two bags of decoys. I had about 40 decoys, everything. And I put out an almighty spread. I was done in 20 minutes. So you set up everything. It takes you an hour, and then you're done. And then I started packing up. Well. As I looked up, the two blokes either side, side of me moved closer to me. Yeah. And I'm thinking, what's going on here? And then next thing, he's trying to, what I call sky bust, as they're coming to my decoys as I'm packing up. And I waved him across. I said, how many you got? And he said, only a couple. I said, well, come on. So I let him shoot over my decoy spread for the next 20 or 30 minutes. And then um, the old, old mate next to him realised what was going on. So he come over as well. So yeah, next thing you know, I've got yeah. two yeah. blokes I don't even know shooting over my decoy spread, and all I could say was, "Don't, don't put any holes in them, please." So it's just yeah. yeah. So, There's unreal. a business model for you. You set up decoys, either. ten. Yeah. yeah, I'll charge you by half by the hour. You can use <laughs> Tax a few ducks. Yeah. Uh, wow. And I mean, that's only that's only um, hunting in water. If I go to field hunting which is mountain ducks, because I get a lot of my mountain ducks in the field and in the paddocks on farmers' crops, um, then I could put anything up to 100 silhouettes out. And then I've got hard bodies that I imported from the States as well, um, from, if you've seen their Canada geese. Mm -hmm. So I've got the Canada geese over, but I've actually airbrushed them and painted them up as our mountain duck, because the full body in the paddock looks a lot better than the silhouette as the birds are coming in. So, yeah, I normally put a whopping big spray out of there as well. I don't want to interrupt you because this is fantastic. But so <laughs> we're, we were talking about wetlands and yep. you know, and getting up there. So in a wetlands, are you shooting behind a blind or are you just shooting from cover? I oh, try. My, my. <coughs> oh, my, my. <laughs> That's right. Because the, the, yeah, the, what do they call them in New Zealand? Oh, my, my. Oh, my. Yeah. My, my. my, my. And I've seen the Yank ones, you know, where they basically, they're, they're, three quarters underground if you will or behind and i've even seen these ones that are, they're like a like an artificial reed that you kind of set up around you and all of a sudden you've got reed so 
So in Achilles suits boat. Yeah. Yeah. So you're shooting from cover uh, in the wetland setting. It depends. <laughs> okay. Sure. Yeah. So, so if I want to get so if, oh, for an example, if I want to get right up into the middle hole, as I call it, in one of our wetlands, uh, I take what we call the stealth with an electric motor. Oh, okay. I've got a bag of decoys, my gear in there, the black lab sitting on the front. I motor out and I have a side screen that comes up. I can sit that on the front of the reeds. Or what I find I do with that is actually I'll tuck it in about a metre behind the reeds and use the reeds as like a natural cover. And okay. then all I do is break down the reeds in front of me. So yeah. that is, well, it's a little fibreglass punt, in other words. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so normally, and that's just got a seat or a platform and that as well. So I hunt off that a lot if I'm going into the wetlands or the swamps. Um, whereas in the paddocks, yep. I use a layout blind. So your layout blinds like your swag. Um, so you lay in that, you grab all the grass around you, just say we're in a pea paddock. They've harvested their peas, there's all stuff still lying around. You just grab as much and you scrub that blind as much as you can and you try and blend into the paddock. And then that has either spring-loaded doors or just doors that you actually flip open and take the shot. Yeah. You try and blend into the natural cover as much as you can. Now, I've seen them shoot um, sandhill cranes with the, in that setup. So you basically you're, you're literally popping out of the ground and away you go. And I've seen them shoot geese that way too. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Wow. That looks like the ultimate fun. I've seen that a few times as well, where you're yep. in the fields and you just open it up and just something comes out. Yeah. It all just goes mad and then you're back into them again. Yeah. It, it does look like a hell of a lot of fun. And yeah. are you using the same techniques with, you know, coming into the wind, et cetera? You're still following that same, those same yep. principles from, from water yep. just on in the paddocks. So still, yeah. the funda it's still fundamentally the same, same layout, et cetera. It's just not in water, it's on land. So Yeah, that's right. Um, and, and then it all comes down to if you were a beginner, well, um, like I still do now, like everyone has to do when it comes to duck hunting, is do your homework. You have to go out and scout and you have to be where the birds want to be as well. Mm -hmm. So it's no use going to wetland with lots of water going, I'm just going to go over there. You want to be there prior to, say, opening. You want to be prior. If you're there one weekend, you might not actually find the flight path of where the birds are. You might realise that, hang on, that's where they're going to. So the next hunt you go on, uh, whether it be two days later or three days later, but that's where you're going to sit the next time. And you will be more su successful because that's where they want to be. Um, so you have to scout and be where the birds are. When you come to mountain duck hunting, um, a lot of it is over crop or the farmers have re-sown and they've got their new crop shooting up, but there's still bits and pieces of the old crop. Um, you'll find a lot of birds picking both. They'll come and feed off, say, the barley that's left over from the header, although won't get enough of that, and they'll pick the new shoots just straight out of the ground. Sure. So the wood duck and the the wood duck will feed from the dams out, and he'll start walking up into the farmer's crop and just pick all around the dam and work their way into the paddock and start decimating the crop, whereas a mountain duck will see two of their mates there and then the rest will follow. Sure. And they and just is that, eat is the that, Is that wood duck... The same wood duck that's found around the country. I don't know if you can even answer that, but you know we have yeah. the common wood duck here, Mark. I imagine. Yeah, well, it's the there's same a duck. yeah, there's a Pacific black duck. There's and and yeah, yeah, 
So, I, so what are the what are the so if in a wetland setting, what are you generally shooting at, or, or you know what kind of what what particular duck are you, species are you shooting at in that setting? Uh, down here in my wetlands. Yep, yep. Um, your two teals, so your grey teal and yep. your chestnut teal, mm -hmm. and your black duck. Yep. So that's uh, mostly specific most black duck. Yeah. Specific yeah. black duck. That's mostly yeah. your bag. Um, you will get the other birds in there, like your hardhead and your pink ear and all that sort of mm. stuff. Um, we have a lake down here called Reedy Lakes, and normally on a morning's hunt, you will see every species across the whole board. You'll see your shovelers, which are not allowed to be shot, and yeah. you'll see that they've taken hardhead off the game list this year. Okay. And, of course, you will see your freckle duck as well. So yeah. you will see all species, but the main ones – down here will be your two teals and your Pacific black duck. Yeah. The wood duck will mainly hang around your dams and your rivers and creeks. Uh, and then your mountain duck tend to just float around. Okay. If they've got food in a paddock nearby, um, they will try and stay on that food and then only go to the wetland or waterway for a drink. Because if they eat, normally they've got a drink within a certain time, I believe, afterwards. Otherwise, it gets caught in their throat. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so it, I might be wrong here, but is the Pacific black duck the one that ha sometimes has crossover with mallards? Yes. That, yep. it is. So they call it yep. mallard mallardization or something like that, don't they? Yeah. So we're finding that over the years there is a little bit of cross contamination, if what you want to call it. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. You're starting to get um, blonde um, blackies, as we call them. And you're starting to get or distinctive bright orange feet, which mm. the mallard have got and all that sort of stuff. So there's little traits coming into our Pacific black duck that is really good for a hunter if you want to get a bird um, done by the taxidermist because if you get one that's an unusual bird, it's great. You know, you want, you want to show it off. Like I've got mates that have shot pure blonde black ducks. Yeah. yeah, and they had that. The, they get that blue under the, the mallard style blue under the wing, don't they? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, good. The reason I know that, look, because one, I, I'm, 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 you know, I, I'm interested in birds that. But I took a photo of one in flight years ago up the dam up here in Brisbane. That's just like five minutes from home, and you know, it was a great shot of it in flight. And this guy in the states who I was actually quite friendly with, he passed away when. You know, that's a you know. Hang on, there's something wrong with that duck. And I went really, and he went, yeah, and he said, yeah, that's. And he yeah. was far more experienced than mine. But yeah, the idea is that the Pacific black duck had that what they what they were calling maladization or something like that. Yeah. And actually, Peter Ryan picked it up too. Mm. Um, yeah. He he saw it too because he's a he's a, a fine wing shooter. Yeah, so. So we're getting those kind of so on the wetlands we're getting you know the Pacific black duck and yep. and these the mountain duck now the mountain duck from the videos look very very different it's a, is it a larger bird yeah so they're probably they'd be more than double of a Pacific black duck um, they're more of uh, geese um, if you know the Canadian big geese and then they've got their lesser Canadas they're more in line with the lesser Canada so. They're probably about twice the size as your, as your black duck. Okay. Um, if you get them towards the end of the season, um, they can get quite large. Okay. Yeah. So 
Yeah, they, I well, find that's them. a big bird because I mean we've got Canada yeah. geese. We you know they're they're, they're no, not feral, but basically they're they, they're appearing here in Queensland. We we've got Canada actually they're out there at the port. There's a, a Canada geese and there's some more up at your way, Jonathan, up towards Caboolture. There's yeah, but so that's a big bird then if that's yeah. right. Yeah, so they're not not as big as the Canada geese, but they're yeah. like they're lesser. So, but yeah. Yeah. wow. Yeah. So which do you prefer eating between them, the teal or the mountain dogs, or the rest of them? Yeah. Which is the favourite? <laughs> which is the favourite legal duck to eat, Troy? Well, I was I wonder if it's the mountain duck because man, I'm, I'm I'm glad you said legal duck to eat then, <laughs> because um, before the shoveler became a non-game species, um, for me it was the shoveler. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah, yeah. And then you sort of got your hardhead and your black ducks and all that sort of stuff. Um, and it depends on what meal or what you want to do with the actual duck itself. Um, around the hunting community and everyone else and the old timers and they go, oh, what are you hunting mountain duck for? What are you doing that for? And there's the old story of you boil a big pot of water I don't know whether you've heard it, and then you throw yeah, the mountain duck yeah. in that, and then you well, pull the brick out and eat the brick and throw the duck in the bin. Well, that's the whole story I've been trying to change as well because the mountain – back when we had a 10-bird bag limit, right, and I'll say back then because – The good old lot, days. Yeah. yeah, the good old days. There's a lot going on now that's actually deterring us from having it. Um, but I, I won't go into that too much, but – Back not with, yet. Not yeah. Yet. Oh, not yet. <laughs> you, you can actually harvest 10 mountain duck and in the 10 mountain duck get anywhere up to five kilos just in breast. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. It's, a, it's a lot of meat. It's a great mm. harvest. So for, to do something with that, and I run, a, I run sausages, pies, lasagnas, and just straight mince in the freezer. So you add 30% of pork fat with that, you've got a lot of meals to contend with and do something with. Whereas if you get 10 teal... The breast size on that is like a small chicken. So mm -hmm. you might do a couple of spring rolls and be done with it. So yeah. for me, a good harvest is taking the mountain duck. Um, the mountain duck, if you put them in the oven, um, yes, they will go tougher for me. Uh, they're best cooked, I reckon, slow cooked. I've done a, a YouTube video on slow cooking the legs. I saw that one, yeah. Um, and they just flake off the bone. So, yeah, after you slow cook those and then crumb those, and they are sensational. So anything involves slow cooking the mountain duck and doing, you know, all that sort of stuff, they end up great. Have you tried a sous vide? No. Interesting to see this. I can only ask because got, I got one the other day to, to try and uh, take the toughness out of a hair, and it worked amazingly. Um, so it's worth it. And they're, they're not expensive. You spend 100 bucks. It, Harvey's and get yourself a sous vide machine, put it in a bath of water for a couple of hours under the watchful eye of the machine and tell me what you think of that. But if, if throwing the black duck in the pot of water with a brick is the common um, recipe, where does that rate with wood duck? Wood duck are fine. Everyone wood... tells me they're crap. No, no. I don't believe that at all. No. When, when you go up in the rice fields yeah, yeah. and you... New South Wales, most of your birds will be uh, blackies or Pacific black duck, grey teal and wood duck. Um, and I bring them all home. Wood duck, yeah, fine. I don't have any issues with them at all. Hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, it's funny, isn't it? Because, you know, 
it's it, it's just weird how the different experiences with game meat. And you wonder if it comes down to the fact that once upon a time, some bloke had a bad one and he told everyone about it. And, yeah. and, yeah. and then that was the end of that particular animal as a, as a, as a, as a, as a game meal because someone had a badly cooked one. Um, like when I was in the UK, so I've hunted uh, pigeon, uh, pheasant and partridge. And, um, you know, you tell people you ate pigeon, they look at you like, you know, you're a hobo. Um, they good. Oh, I love it. They're good. Absolutely. It was really good. Yeah. And we had them as just breast medallions. Yep. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. And, you know, and you did, you know, what you got was, and I wonder, part of it is when you get a bag, you know, with, uh, this is only my reflection on, on, on pigeon shooting. When you get a bag, you know, you get, a range of age of, of animals in that bag so because you know it's it's not that selective obviously so you'll you know one breath will be a bit chewy the next one won't be because you know i think you get that individual variance in the animals so i'm sure it's the same with the with with any kind of species of animals you know if you get a bag you're going to get a variance in that bag you're going to yep. get some are some are you know more tender than others. So, having a process like slow cooking, I suppose, levels the playing field on all of them. It does, yeah, yeah. yeah. And the the pigeons to me, I, I don't mind pigeon at all either. Um, the pigeon. Um, <laughs> you're thinking, you're thinking of feral pigeons, bit, yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking of those rats and wings yeah, that shit right. on everything. Yeah. Oh, they are, but. If you get the right ones, they're actually quite tasty. Yeah, well, unfortunately, me picking the right ones probably going to go the wrong way, and yeah. I'll end up hating pigeon. Mark's well, going to cook me some pigeon. You don't want to be knocking them off King George Square in the city, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but if they're out there in, in a farm eating grain, you know, they're probably yeah. well fed. Well, that's <laughs> why I ask about the wood duck. Not that I can shoot a wood duck here in Queensland because we're not allowed, but um, since the floods, uh, you know, over the last couple of days, I've now got a lake out the back here that's that's holding a, a dozen wood ducks and I look at them like the wily e. coyote does the roadrunner <laughs> upside down you know ready to eat you know with steam coming off them as if they've come out of the oven I always wondered what they'd taste like uh, but I I can't do that because that would be illegal uh, but I look forward to trying one um, uh, um, when I come down to uh, yeah. shoot some ducks with you mate well, the last the last wood duck duck I ate was up with the rice a couple of year ago, and the bloke I went with actually did them as poppers. Oh, so, um, yeah, he put uh, prosciutto around them and put some Philly cheese or cheese in there, and he put some jalapenos in and wrapped them up and put them through skewers. So, yeah, that's right. So a lot of the pinky that I get now, because um, they're the size of a pigeon, they are tiny birds. Um, you only get a little medallion off the breast. A lot of those go into poppers and things like that, yeah. And and that rice mint, so that stuff in New South Wales, basically um, that's an extension of the R license, isn't it? No, it's but, on private property, so you can yeah. have your G license, your game license. Okay. Yep, because you're as long as you've got permission off the farmer. That's right. Because you're on private property, yeah. And then, of course, you've got to have your... What's um, this? Yeah, the, you've, got, the, you've, you've got to have your... Um, G license and also the mitigation permit for yeah. the yeah. And you, and you have completed the the wet test as well. The, yeah. The yeah. 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 And the Victorian and then, one carries over to the yeah. New South Wales one or the South Australian carries over. Yeah. As long as you do have the wit, then you can actually fill out to grab your G license in New South Wales. Yeah. 
But if you've got the R license, does that give you the G license? I think it does cover. Oh, yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah, R license covers general. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, whatever it is. Yeah. So, yeah. That's it. so if you had your R license, you could do the WIT test. Now I know that. Well, before COVID, um, they were coming up every so often to Queensland to run that test. Yeah. And I, if I'm, I, I might got this wrong too. There was also a. You could almost, almost, there was a system where you could nominate and they would actually help you connect you with farmers. Was that the case? Yep. Yeah, correct. Still, that was yeah. for the Ross stuff, yeah. 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 And that's is around, there a similar, similar arrangement in Victoria for on the grain properties or is it all private? And Yeah, it's, 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 I don't know, what would you call it? It's, it's really hard to get onto the private properties unless the farmer goes, I need help and I've yeah. got an issue. Um, and then he might start looking for hunters. Of course, there's normally someone that knows someone that's word of mouth. Yeah. And then he might be able to actually try and apply um, down here to get a permit um, because a certain duck's decimating the crop or he's having trouble and things like that. So, yeah. yeah. So let's talk about that as an option. So is that, so do, do is that, if so if I was going into going to, to Victoria to hunt, and there was the private land. Is the permit something I apply for, or does the farmer own the permit and then he looks for someone to execute the permit? Yeah, if he doesn't execute it himself, he can outsource it. Okay. Um, as long as, say, just say if it was me, um, he's got to actually name me that I'm carrying out the permit. Okay. So basically, then, like, then the the, yeah, and, like the Rutex. Yeah. yeah, and then there's a process, yeah, exactly. And then there's a process that I will put into place when I'm carrying the permit out. Like um, if there's any neighbours involved, I've got to notify them. Yeah. I've got to notify the police when I'm taking it out and all that sort of stuff. So there's a little bit involved. You can't just rock up on the property and take the permit out. As long as everyone knows what's happening, you're pretty right. And who would set the, the bag limit for that permit? Is, is there a bag limit, I guess? Um, and would that be set by the DPI or the, the farmer themselves? They say, I just want permit. No, no. So he will just basically say that he's got an issue uh, and then they will send someone out. Okay. And oh, yeah, yeah, and then they'll assess the property. Um, so say at the back of Victoria here, there's a lot of pea crops, bean crops and things like that. So there's a lot of issues with the mountain duck because that's their favourite food, the peas and the beans and all that sort of thing. Um, so a lot of farmers out there will be always looking for people to come on. Um, so if he had an issue, of course, a hunter would then go, yep, righto, blah, 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 and then he would actually apply for the permit. He's got why he's got to actually, why he needs a permit, how much crop he's got, what type of crop they're decimating, what time of the year they're doing it. There's a lot involved just in the paperwork. And then he'll send that away and then they'll send out the assessor to actually look at it. Um, so he could come out once or twice or he could come out the once and go, yes, you've got a problem. Um, and then he will allocate a certain amount on that permit. Um, could have lost half his crop by that point. That's right. It's a process. And it's got... It's, it's something that the farmer needs to put in place earlier than too late. Like, um, Can it span seasons? It only lasts for 12 months. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's normally a six-week process. Um, wow. So I know a farmer down the back here that 
um, decided to have, well, not decide, he, he had a problem. And then by the time he went through the process, he was asking me for help. And I couldn't do anything about it until he had the permit. Um, and then by the time the process was all through, the crops were actually shooting up too much, but they, it was already done and dusted. They'd already ruined the shoots to a certain extent. Mm, so right. They've got to sort of, and the blokes that always sow those peas and beans, they know that it's going to happen at a certain time every year anyway. So they're preempted. Yeah, I, and I, I swear the ducks know when it's happening. Like if, if the, the headers will run through the paddock and they the, just say to mountain ducks, they normally know it's like being up the rice. The, the ducks know when that plane's dropping the seed down into the water. And as for the mountain duck, they know uh, if the header starts up and it starts ripping the paddock out, well, they are in the next paddock waiting because they will just either be picking at the crop because it's ready or they just follow the header. Yeah. So, and a farmer could be taking the peas off while he's got, and you, you see videos from down here that another mate's taken or I've taken and things like that. There's nothing to be thousand birds right behind the header in the next patch. No. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 could, I could say a month ago, take you guys to um, a location down here that's about an hour and a half away from home and there'd be nothing to see 5,000 birds across this farmer's place. Oh, Jesus. Wow. I, I I never had that picture in my yep. mind. Yep. Ah oh, no, yeah, I, I I don't see that. You just don't see that. You don't well, yep. you don't picture in your mind that kind of volume of of animals. That's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's not until you take someone there that they realise that oh my god, this guy's got a, this farmer's got a problem, or I didn't realise there was this amount of birds. I mean, you must you must be able to do about a trillion sit ups if you're in that blind popping up and down with five <laughs> Yeah, well, that's just sit on the back of the header. What's the point of having a blind? They're still pretty smart. You can't outsmart them all the time. So, yeah. But then that's where you sort of resort to if we're talking about the duck season now, where like the previous months that I've been scouting around and looking, you go down there and you go, my God, the data and everything that's um, what would you call accumulated to set our duck season and things like that doesn't take into consideration all the dams across Victoria and all no. the creeks and the private waterways and um, just the basic paddocks that all these ducks are in. They're no. only actually counting the major wetlands or they're flying a helicopter over the major wetlands and putting all the data into that. It's not yeah. a whole, and it is hard to come up with a figure because they're not, a, they're not counting all this, like they're missing out on it. Well, that that's what happened. Not well, not, not the year before, wasn't it? Let's say last year, Victoria said there's no ducks in New South yeah. Wales. Went, well, we've got you know three trillion of them here, so I don't know what's going on. So yeah, and and it's just yep. a matter of how you count. Yeah. So, yeah. Yep. So so since you brought it up, oh. <laughs> I'd like to I'd like to touch on that. So the exciting thing is they've announced it, and it seems yeah. like they've announced it with a reasonable amount of notice compared to. Last year, was it last year? Like it was. <laughs> I think it was last year. It was the the bad year, wasn't it? Or the year before? Oh. Yeah, one of those. But oh, um, so they've announced it with a four a four bird limit per day. Yes. Yeah. Um, is is this is this a minor victory or is it just a fast? What, what's what's going it's, on with that? It's, uh, in my opinion, it's a fast. Okay. Yeah. Yep. It's uh, this year. 
is ridiculous. To get four birds um, is ridiculous. So we've had the old Nina's broke. So just to put the short story in the play, the old Nina's broke. We've had wetlands fill up. You know, they've had a lot of water across Victoria up into New South Wales. You guys know the amount of water that's come across you guys up in Queensland. The whole eastern side of Australia has got water. Um, and then they collaborate all the data and they still say we can only get four birds. Well, last year we got five birds and it was oh. drier. Yeah. And so I mean... And this right. wet has this wet's not new. This is what the second season, really, isn't it? Yes, yes. So I remember, you know, moving going through you now, well, especially going down to New England last last year with the family and seeing grain piles like I've, I've not seen. You know, literally, you come to a grain silo, and around that silo is these massive blue tarps. With all the we stuff. saw that on the way to Pedigree. Um, right. Remember, which is that's rain right. everywhere. And, and, uh, and it's just like been going. That's like months of that. So the, yeah. So and and we and that was what. Well, that was December a year December. ago. You know, fourteen months ago. Yes. It's like that. So yeah. So and that and it was wet then. I mean, well, we actually when we hunted the pilliga in December, the first trip, the first day we came in late. The, the Darcy and. Simon around there, and that, and it got hit by forty mils while they were waiting to get in. Mm. So yeah, the amount of rain is is huge, but we've all seen that. That's why um, there's so much ground cover. So it's yeah. I mean, obviously, there's a there's a political component at play here in regards to duck hunting. Yeah, oh, oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah, yeah. There was a there was a great um, post by Barry Howlett during the week um, mm. about. Um, about this call for the season and some of the political stuff that's played. I'd recommend people jump over to the ADA website and have a look at that. It was really well done from Barry. So yeah, it's um it's worth a look for sure. Mm. Yeah. But it's a pro it's a problem, but um I don't I, I don't know what you do about it. We sit up here and go, well we have, we don't have yeah, we've got nothing. Four yeah. birds like that's <laughs> yeah. It's 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 one of those things where I mean, us sitting back here, you only get told a certain amount of things. But from a hunter's perspective, well, if you go paint the picture, well, they had all the information back in December. They had all the recommendations back in December. Everything had to be submitted by the Game Management Authority by a certain date. So they had all that. And then all they were waiting for was the ministers. So the ministers just had to sign off on it. Well, a month later, and for what are we now? Two weeks before the season, they announce it, but they mm. had all the information at Christmas time or just after Christmas. Mm. So, yeah, which makes it just a purely political process. That's what's that's right. Yeah. yeah, 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 and that's what makes it hard because we know if uh, whether you've watched the socials and you've got right into the organisations that in previous histories we've had really big years where we've had a lot of rain. And we've gotten eight birds but the following year we've gotten 10 birds because when they do their water surveys when they do their bird counts and everything like that well there's a large volume of water so it looks like there's less ducks but of course the following year when there's not as much water it looks like there's more ducks well, so they're concentrated yeah so they're more concentrated in the air and they go well yeah but 
there's a lot of flaws throughout the research that they do. So hopefully in the next couple of years, they get this interim harvest. It's an interim, interim harvest model now um, working properly. And then we can secure, I don't know, yeah, moving forward and getting the right the right um, data to allocate our bird, a daily bird limit. Is so that is, that what, is that what New South Wales uses? They use that model? Because they, they use a wholly different model, don't they? New South Wales, I do believe, do the helicopter surveys and things yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. Because okay. I know South Australia's announced their season and they've got an eight bird limit. That's right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. they you know, double what you guys yeah. have got. Yeah. And they had they've had a wet year as well. Probably a similar amount of rainfall to Victoria. So yeah. why is there such a discrepancy between the numbers? That's mm. right. And that's where we, as you say, it's all got to come down to political. It has Troy, to. Troy, what's a reasonable number in your opinion? And that's not the you know as many as I can shoot number. That what, no. what do you think is a reasonable number um, based on your history and your experience? In this season now, I actually submitted through Honka Hunters or a recommendation to Game Management Authority for 10 birds. Mm. Um, and the reason I did that was through my experience because um, I said that it's enough or it's sustainable enough for the average hunter to go out and harvest 10 ducks. But also from my experience and working in the grain industry, well, I'm going out talking to farmers and the whole lot and I can see the issues that they've got with the wood duck and the mountain duck and all that sort of stuff as well. So I actually put on additional wood duck and mountain duck in the daily bag. Yeah. And yeah. and do you think that there is a, a an opportunity to have a bag limit for the wetlands and a different bag limit for the cropping? Or is it, it's all just blended, isn't it? I think it, it, it'd all have to be blended, yeah. You wouldn't be able to police it yeah. Um, because so be 10 per day yes. wherever you got them from type thing yeah mm. like a hunter would come back and go oh hang on I, I just say it was 15 I shot 15 but I was out in private property well you wouldn't be able to prove right. that he actually didn't he come from the wetland so sure yep. yeah. yeah yeah right and are you are you optimistic that the model is turning around and it will come back to a more reasonable number or are you stuck with this this bureaucratic rubbish at the moment yeah at the minute it's really i reckon we're just in a wedge mm. i reckon nothing's moving at the minute you know like we've budged um we we realized well me i realized that there was an issue with the traditional saturday opening and like a couple of other organizations realized and said right oh let's um counteract it and because they are saying they're limited resources so let's trial a midweek opening, and it was only meant to be a trial to ease the pressure off their resources, but they've carried on with it. So what was the problem with the traditional Saturday morning opening or the weekend opening? It was too many hunters. Oh, okay. Oh, out lands, and it was too much hunting pressure for that one Saturday morning. Okay. Um, so they tried to ease it, and they did a trial of a 9 a.m., which just that was no good at all. Um, and then they brought it to the Wednesday. There was a suggestion made by a few organisations or a organisation, um, and that's tend, tended to stick. Um, so it's like, pressure. So yeah. it's like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then the big day on Saturday, and hopefully because of that, you've got 
you've already had people who've, who've, who've hunted through the week, so they're not going to be there on a Saturday type. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So you could Is look there... at it like if we had had more notice, um, blokes could have gotten the RDOs or the time off and things yeah. like that, but we've had yeah. two weeks' notice when they've yeah. dropped the big ball. Mm -hmm. So like talking through socials and mates now, they can't get the Wednesday off. Yeah. So, yes, they have eased the pressure because they're giving us a late notice, but in saying that, a lot of the shops couldn't, like, the shops down where I am now don't have any steel shop. There's no steel shop in my district, in my, in Geelong. There's nothing. Like, blokes are going to Melbourne and Pilfer and what they've got left. I had a bloke go an hour down the road and he got three boxes, and that's meant to last him a full 12 weeks now. Mm. So mm. he's going to have to travel to Melbourne and try and find steel shop. So if we had a known a month ago or two months ago, the shops could have ordered in or organised it. And, yeah, the ec economical factors that come into play are just huge. And, and considering what the supply chain's like at the moment too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we're not, we're not certainly in a, in a period of abundance, so hmm. it would almost be impossible. Yeah. Okay, so well, with that open, with that opening day, is there a restriction on the number of hunters that's allowed on a wetland? Um, no. no, so you could be a free for all, and you could have shop landing everywhere, basically. Yeah, yep. Kind of like you. you sort of know as you sort you could. Um, I've been in a situation before where you've got in there in the morning and. You set everything up and then you didn't realise that old mate was sitting 50 metres away without the head torch on and you're very close proximity. But, okay. yeah, normally everyone would say something and you get along and you make it a morning. You make it sort yeah. of a, an event, yeah. yeah. But, of course, down here in Geelong you have the other issue too where you've got high-vis walking in front of you and blokes waving flags and whistles and the whole lot. Yeah. So that becomes another problem. And they're not meant to be on the wetland before 10 o'clock. And they tend to find themselves on the wetland before 10 o'clock because they think they can get away with everything. And they do. So there's another issue there. Yeah. It's, it's pretty big down where I am. Like, I don't hunt the two major wetlands down here in Geelong on the weekend at all. Oh, okay. At all, because... Yeah, and all the locals know, like, that you're just going to run into trouble. That's it. Not, I won't, I won't say trouble, but you are going to be hindered and harassed and there's been circumstances down here um, where they won't let you down to the boat ramp. They've blocked it off and they're sitting there in deck chairs. There was an incident here two years ago where she claimed that he ran over her, which was actually false because... Luckily, he had a dash cam, and you could see it on the dash cam that that was incorrect, but she played it out as if that was happening. So we're continually battling every year, every year with those guys. Yeah. 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 It's a tough one. That's a real tough one. <laughs> yeah. 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 And you can't see that going away. You know, they're not going to no, lose that, that, passion that, that in their drive. That's not going away. That's not no. going away. That noise is going to continue to... Yeah, to play out. Yeah. So, if I want to go down, uh, what about? Let's talk a, bit, a little bit about gear. Yep. yep. So we've got decoys, and we're gonna we we've got the 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 cavalcade of decoy shapes, including you know, bubbling bum duck decoys and things like that. <laughs> so uh, I'm yeah. You know, well, I, I like shotguns, but I 
there's generally the smallest thing I shoot with a shotgun is a pig. So that's my kind of idea of what a shotgun is. Yeah. Uh, so what, what what's your, your your kind of gear do you use in terms of shotguns? What's your I, I noticed you got a, a I noticed a hat that you're wearing. Right, yeah, yeah, the hat, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I've been fortunate enough that um, yeah, OSA gave me a hat and a couple of things, so it's been really good. Um, but yeah, I I just put a video up on YouTube. Um, I just got the Moroku to use this year, which is a Moroku um, Sporter, the MK70. So I'll be using that this year. Uh, last year I used the MK70 in the camo. Yeah, so that's the normal go-to gun. Um, I just use the camo gun. I don't know why. I've just when you pick it up, it just feels a lot better um, than having the timber stock because if you're in a swamp, yes, your hands get wet or whatever it is. Um, so the camo sort of has that rubbery sort of grip on it. Oh, okay. You tend to hold that a lot better than the timber stock. Yeah. So twelve gauge shotgun. Um, you've got your waders. If it is really cold, of course you're going to put your jacket on. I wear gloves, face mask, and a hat. And then I've got an array of duck callers, depending on where I go. Um, so in saying that, um, as I said, depending on where I go. So if I am going into the two wetlands, well, of course there's going to be the black duck, the teal. Um, and things like that. So I'll make sure that I've got those callers on me. Whereas if I'm in the field, it'll just be mountain duck callers and maybe a black duck caller. Okay. And are you using uh, traditional callers or are you using electronic callers? No, traditional callers, yep. Yep, yep. So that takes a lot of practice. Yeah. It takes a lot of weird looks at the tra traffic lights. <laughs> <laughs> pull up next to one and they... My dog think, loves them. Yeah, they think you're doing all kinds of weird stuff at the traffic lights or the wife finally yells at you in the next room, can you shut up, please? <laughs> so that's when you know you've got a problem. Yeah, I got a I got a, a predator whistle that I or caller that I keep in the car and it generally my boys grab it and they start ranking on it and <laughs> yeah, I practice myself. Yeah, so yeah. I, I understand that. I understand that. So yeah. yeah. So we we were obviously and I didn't, I suppose it makes sense, but I didn't think about callers, you know, yeah. about the different types. So, again, you're looking to, so basically what, uh, you know, a synthetic or a, a, a for you, a synthetic um, stocked shotgun is, is obviously the way to go. 12-gauge um, chokes, are you, do you mix, mix them up or do you, is it full choke all the way through for range? Uh, I normally don't change them. I normally just, same as my clay targets, I just run... A three-quarter choke, yeah. um, just because you are running steel shot as well. Yeah. Um, and then I don't change the chokes; they basically stay like that. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. and that with the steel shot, is there considerations around the steel shot around that? Is it, I mean, does it does it perform differently, or is it just? Do you it not does perform differently than lead, for okay. sure. So I find it doesn't have the impact on the birds as what lead does. Um, obviously, it might be going at a higher velocity and it seems to penetrate them a lot more. Um, but in saying that, it doesn't have the impact when it hits a bird as much as lead, in my view, in my point of view. Um, yeah, it's just a matter of if I was using fours lead for the mountain ducks, then I would choose to go, say, a three in the steel shot. Oh, okay. Yeah. 
just for a little bit more impact. And say mountain ducks, they're a little, little bit bigger bird. Whereas if I was out shooting teal, I like using fives. Yeah, which gives you a little bit more spread in your pattern. Um, you're using a three-quarter choke and you give you a nice pattern and straight out over your decoy spreads, you know you're going to be able to hit the teal. Okay. Yep. That comes down to personal preference, I think. Like, well, I, I think it's, it's important. But again, as someone who was starting, that that's kind of really good information. Good information understand. Yeah, I understand yeah. that, you know, the difference between that lead and steel shot and you're actually saying that, you know, with the steel shot, you dro you, you're dropping your numbers down. So you, you're shooting technically a heavier shot because it, mm -hmm. it gives you the, the same effect as, as a slightly lighter. Um, and But, of course, as you drop it down, you, you lose your spread. Or you, your numbers in terms of shot decrease by, by cartridge, so you, you must be losing a little bit of your spread as well. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah, I think... Less 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 in the air, as it were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's... Unless you pattern test it and you go through each shell with your gun, then you find the intricate details of it. Um, so as a beginner, I sort of recommend that they do go to the Claytart Club mm. and they do trial it they if they want to put it on butcher's paper or a pattern board or whatever and just get used to where their pattern's hitting because you might find that the pattern is actually hitting high um you won't be able to hit that incoming clay target for some reason and you're going to find out why then and is uh things like the you know the, the halo style or the the ring style optics are they becoming more and more apparent amongst you uh, the shotgunners i'm not sure i haven't gotten into that Oh, okay. yeah. oh, I haven't. Yeah, I know that. Yeah, you know, some people are starting to find them very. You know, there's a aim point style one has. It's a ring rather than a dot, and it's a. Yep. It's. A, I think they call it the S one or the. There's one for shotgun specifically. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I've got a mate at work that's had it, which is a ring style. Yeah. Um, but I personally wouldn't like it. Um, I keep both eyes open when I use the shotgun. And through clay targets and every hunting aspect I do, rabbits, whatever, it's always both eyes open. I think if I had that protruding up from the barrel, it'd be off-putting for me. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's just me, but yeah. <laughs> and when you're when you're shooting the duck on the on the wing, I know aiming's not probably the right word, but where are you intending to hit that animal? Uh, if they was, or do you have an intention to hit? You know, are you? You know, what is your? What's? Your, I know, like if you hit, you know, you hunt yep. with rifle. You know, even though you might not hit exactly where you're hitting, you've got there's a there's an intention for impact. Is that yep. the same thing with with with, with ducks? Um, a lot of blokes will jump the gun and just shoot it as they're coming in. Yeah. Um, and then of course your pattern ruins the breast. I will try and aim just above the breast at the neck. Okay. Yep. So you you are, so, yeah. As we talked about before, whether he's coming in, his wings are cupped. And just before he hits that decoy spread, well, his wings totally open right up and his landing feet come down and he puts his head up. And it's right at that point you can actually put the shotgun on his breast. But by the time you pull the trigger, it's actually just above the breast in his neck oh. area. And you're going to take him straight out. Okay. Because I remember a good friend of mine, you know, he, he was hunting. Uh, geese and I thought I said hey, you know that's a big bird and he goes oh you aim for the head so it becomes you know it's actually quite a small bird in a, in a lot of ways yeah. Yeah. so yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. And then, and it's the same as if the birds were going sideways as crosses. Um, that's when I aim right on the beak. Oh, okay. Yep. So when they're crossing, I'll aim straight at the beak, depending on the distance area. Yeah. Get a little bit of lead, of course, but most ninety-nine percent of the time, I'll either be on the beak or just in front of it. Yeah. So I'm actually going to hit the, hit them from that upper wing forward. Yeah. Okay. See, I mean that that's that's gold. There's there's a hell of a lot of us, and me included, you know, can can visualise what you're talking about there. You know, so basically, you're trying to take above the breast out. So then you obviously retrieving the the best amount of meat. And yeah, for sure. So with with, you, with meat retrieval, are you do you generally take the whole duck, or you are you breasting it? How how do you go about the the, the meat retrieval? I take everything. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like mountain ducks get stripped down. I take the back legs out, the breasts out, the whole lot. Yeah. Uh, I don't take the skin. Um, it just depends on what I want to use it for. Um, okay. If I want to roast the whole black duck, well, I, I start plucking away and go from there, teal, skin on. Uh, depends what you want to use it for. Okay. So and you got one of those crazy, you know, diabolical plucking machines you see there. <laughs> What's wrong with them? What's wrong with them? That 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 was invented by a madman who kind of went, you know. Oh man, we, we had one of those out the back shed my entire childhood. The duck plucker. I put my hand on one of them more than once that I shouldn't have. I didn't I didn't get the duck plucker. I used me two fingers or that's when you know you've got the claw after about ten. Right. <laughs> they just seize up on you, but um, I did get the bird hitch. So, What's the bird hitch? So the bird hitch is, um, how do you describe it? I'd have to actually show you. It, actually a wedge-shaped aluminium tool. So if I've got my hands like that, mm -hmm. um, if you can imagine I grab both wings and I actually slide the bird, so his belly up, Okay. His belly up and his head's facing towards me. And mm -hmm. just as our point of the neck there, I actually yep. slide that down onto the point and I drag those wings back towards me. And mm -hmm. as I drag that back towards me, the hitch is shaped like an anchor and it actually pops the breast straight oh, out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 So yeah. As you drag that back. Use it off like that type thing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you could do it that way as well. The only... Well, the benefits if you go up into New South Wales and you're taking out the mitigation permit and you bring a lot of birds home, that's well and good. But here in Victoria, you've got to bring them back with a wing on. Oh, okay. Yeah, identification. Um, for identification purposes. So even if you, you use a bird hitch, you're still going to actually have to cut a wing and bring bring that back as well. So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But we've got four birds this year, so. Yeah, that, is that four, four birds per day? Or is, yes. it, is it four per birds day. Per, four birds per day per minute? Okay. Yeah. Right. So, as much as I want to keep going, yeah. we're at nearly two hours, and we haven't covered the important stuff yet. Like what? Do you know what, Mark? <laughs> Do you drink service oh, station coffee? Okay. Oh, the, oh, the from a vending thing. machine. The big questions. The big Not questions. an espresso. The big okay. questions. The big questions. Okay, so that here's was for the you, question. Troy. Will you I... stop at a servo and drink dollar coffee out of a machine? Not an espresso made coffee. 
I have one to the middle of the man. Oh, I, look, I, he's loading that question up. It's unfair. He's worried. <laughs> so the question is, okay, do you no. serve a station coffee? No. Oh, okay, that's it. Okay. Here's a Victorian. Did you drink, gonna... Did you drink real coffee from Victoria? Oh, I have one coffee in the morning. It's out of a sachet. That's it. That's nearly as bad. All right, okay. carry on, Mark. Do you, what's, what song is playing? Or being a, a, a oh, yeah, song. What song is playing on, you know, in the car on the way to Hunt Ducks? What song? What's yeah, your go-to? Your go-to track oh, in the do, car. What's your go-to duck hunting song? Your current one. Actually, it's actually, actually, do you know what I do do? Um, if, if I've got someone new coming and it's really early in the morning, I, I have been known to uh, shit stir a little bit and put Slim Dusty on at 4.30 in the morning. Nice. Um, I I don't like it, but it's enough to avoid him. <laughs> Um, but no, I'm not really a music person. I'm more so, or less thinking where I'm going and what I'm doing. Okay, so you're going to yeah. suffer for your art and put on uh, a little slim I, 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 got, I got the next one. Um, deer hunters read a lot of books. Are there duck hunting books? And if so, what, what's your recommendation? Uh, duck hunting books? Not I wouldn't have a clue. No, that's cool. The, the that's quack of the wild. That's a quack. Yep. Yeah. Um, Ham and cheese toasted sandwiches with or without the tomato? Without. Now, this is yep. very important, okay? The reason it's very important <laughs> and it's become vitally important is because I was asked this question by Jono <laughs> in Inglewood. Yeah. I kid you not. I was was toasty. It wasn't a toasty. That was a sandwich. That was a sandwich. He said, I said, mate, grab me a ham and cheese sandwich. And he goes, do you want tomato? And I went, if I wanted tomato, I would have said, get me a yep. tomato. Absolutely. <clears throat> I wouldn't. How long's it been sitting in the Bay Marie for? Oh. Long enough to burn the top of your mouth and, right. and your tongue when you stick yeah. that well, tomato it would in. Well, it would be some. Depends on what time you come through town, but you would assume that it went in there sometime <laughs> that day. So. Yeah, well, it's, depends where you're going hunting, mate. That's yeah, saying. that's right. Well, I, I'm fortunate enough that everywhere I go is 15 minutes away. There you um, go. So yeah, sure uh, no. my coffee's um, my coffee's made at home, and I've eaten before I go. There you go, mate. No. Yeah. I think I've got one more, and that was um, what was your worst but recentish hunting purchase? What did you buy that was just well, an absolute yeah, cluster? Yeah, waste, waste of money. money on that one. Oh. Actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. Chinese. There we go. Um, <laughs> imported hard bodies. Oh, I thought you were going to say. I thought you were going to say quackers with a weird accent. <laughs> no. <laughs> so uh, hard, body, hard body lures or hard, hard body, body decoys. Hard body decoys. What, what was, decoys. Yeah. Why? Why were they? What? What was wrong with those? Well, they said they were foam, um, and they did look like mountain ducks. But when I got them, they were really light foam and just blew straight down the straight down the body. <laughs> <laughs> All right, on the stake when it was dead calm, but the wind picked up and I noticed there was one gone, two gone, five gone, and well, uh, they were just very lively. That's all they gave. Yeah. They seemed yeah. out of movement. An old mate down the paddock had a very natural setup. Yeah, yeah. Well, they got they got given to a good friend of mine. <laughs> they all ended up against his fence. It was this pile of ducks against the fence. Yeah. Were they all our hard hitting questions? I think so. I think they were. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm just going to use that to to wrap up because that's we right. need to yeah, call, we right. need to call time. So, um, yeah. Troy, man, it's been 
it's been a wealth of knowledge. It's been awesome. I'm it's really been glad you, you found us and, and, and came on at short notice. It's unreal. So um, thanks very much. And uh, I'm sure we'll have loads of questions for you. But be before we let you go, where do people find you? Uh, on... Not your address, but social media. <laughs> yeah, not, not, not your house, mate. Where do they, yeah. find, on, where do they on... find you? How do they find you online? Well, if you're new hunters, I did start the Honker Hunters Facebook page, uh, which is a social page. But then I also did the uh, Honkers Hunters, Honker Hunters official page, which you can go in there. And for the beginners and stuff, I've done the camo hats and the beanies and whatever. So I did a bit of merchandise to get everyone going. And then also I've just started doing the YouTube channel. So, yeah, tips and tricks. And I'll try and do some as I go along through the season to help all the new guys out. So, yeah. yeah. Awesome. So get along to those pages get a bit of support and a like and a subscribe and those sorts of things happening. And um, yeah, same on our pages. That'd be great. Uh, Mark, anything from you? Oh, to wrap? As I just said, um, it's been me two hours of me asking you questions about dark hunting. And <laughs> look, and I've, I've really appreciated it. Uh, it's, it's something that I'm interested in. Um, as I said, I've, 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 did some, I've done some wing shooting, but not in Australia, but it's something I want to get, I, I want to get to. And it's been great to find out some of those, you know, just, for, well, for someone who's never done it before, those basic questions. So, I much appreciate you taking your time to to explain those things to a to a complete newbie. No worries, Jono. Yeah, thanks very much. Very very insightful. Um, I've done a bit of wing shooting in the past overseas. Um, when I was new to Australia, I did my wit test almost straight away, and but haven't been able to actually use it here down to New South Wales. Just didn't really know what to do, how to do it. So it's been very very insightful. I've liked the page already. Followed up. We're going to start following some videos and hopefully get down to Victoria at some point. That'd be good. Be good to have you down here and I can take you out. Yeah, yeah well, look out for, for three fellas and matching shirts coming your direction. <laughs> I'll go practice my setup. So. Oh, yeah, that's no, <laughs> great. All right, let's call it. Thanks very much, Troy. Yep. Unreal, mate. Yep. Enjoy the rest yeah. of your evening and, yeah, we'll talk to you soon. No worries. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers.